0: Hello everybody, uh, welcome to a special edition of Cold Bread. I'm Ray Carr and with me as always is Fitz. Fitz, uh, we were talking the other day and you asked me to gather some intel about this Barbie phase and about Barbie dolls. Well, here's what I found. Barbie's probably the most popular doll in the world with over a billion Barbie dolls sold since, it's, uh, since it came out in 1959 by the American toy company, Mattel. Last year, they totaled $1.5 million, billion dollars globally in sales. They say it's, put, it's it really Barbie is said to have a significant impact on social values by promoting characteristics of female independence and success since it was launched in, late, in the late 1950s. There are well over 100,000 avid fans and Barbie collectors in the world. And 90% of them are women. The most expensive doll sold at an auction in London was for $17,000. The Barbie movie made, up to this date, $337 million worldwide. And the toy brand is projecting spiking in sales for the next seven years. Okay, Fitz, I know the movie just came out. And I remember buying my kids Barbie dolls but what is this sudden fascination with Barbie?
1: Well, I'm not sure I have the complete answer for that. And first of all, everyone welcome around the world. And we've done our demographics and we're being watched and listened to around the world. So uh, we're our little summer, midsummer break here. We're coming back soon, but thanks for this. But yeah, I, I dropped my lovely wife, Natalie, off at the Barbie movie a few days ago. No, I did not attend with her. Maybe I'll watch it on TV, who knows? But it all of a sudden hit me, hey, wait a minute, Barbie's been very popular for decades. And I remember a case that I didn't technically work this case, but it was part of the training block when we became new profilers. And guess what? It had all to do with Barbie and not some good things of Barbie. And if you're just tuning in or you've just listened so far, if you have kids in the room, you may not want to have them watch the rest of this part. Um, but I'll tell you a little story or two afterwards about how some people who had no problems with their kids, uh, kind of seeing, uh, the Barbies that you're about to see. So, uh, so yeah, uh, how this all started was, um, I got a call from a, a New York state police department and like every 10 years in New York state, they had to get rid of their evidence from old cases. And they were about to toss a bunch of the evidence from a certain case And they called the profilers and said, hey, we know one of your profilers worked this case back in the early 90s. Would you guys want this stuff for your museum or display counter or something like that? And as soon as I got the call, I said, sure, we'll take it, ship it down to us uh, in in one piece, hopefully, because I knew what was coming. And in fact, they did. So um, I took possession of what you're about to see on the screen. And uh, but but let's go back to the original case. I want to give a shout out here to our friend uh, Al Brantley, who's a retired FBI agent, FBI profiler. He uh, he left in the early 2000s, still doing well out there. But he actually worked this case. And when a bunch of us came in as new profilers in 1995, this is one of the many cases that was presented to us. So Ray, I'm going to present this to you and our audience out there today, uh, just like it was presented to us, and we're going to try to figure out just what happened here and who, in fact, may have been behind this. And we did solve this matter. Al Brantley and the other investigators did. So there is a logical ending to this. So Ray, any questions up front before we get started here?
0: No, I'm, I'm real interested to hear about this. Uh, I've heard about it. And even when I went through the basic school and the advanced school and the basic school, Al Brantley was one of our instructors. And he actually talked about this case. But I never, ever thought until I would go down and visit you down there and work in cases that I would actually see these Barbie dolls. So I didn't know the backstory, but yeah, I remember you mentioning this to me. I remember Al talking about it in class, but I think it's fascinating and I think our listeners are going to be fascinated as well.
1: Okay. And again, this is a real case. Neither Ray nor I are perverted enough to have violated these dolls as you're about to see. At least I can speak for myself and uh, I, I think Ray could too. But someone had a, a real issue back in the day. So I, I like, if it has a happy ending, I want to put that up there. And you'll see in uh, slide two that we did rescue a number of barbies. These are the ones that were rescued uh, after a search warrant was served on a certain person's house. But I'm going to leave it at that for now. I'm going to walk you, Ray, through this case like it was a real case. So uh, starting in the early 90s, a, a mental uh, health facility in upstate New York started receiving packages in the mail almost, they could almost mark the calendar date once per month. And here is the type of uh, of a package it would be. It was overstamped, of course, didn't look too dissimilar from some of the Unabomber's mailings with all these stamps in the upper right-hand corner and, uh, and, and the printed out address there. And it happened to be to a specific uh, mental health center and it went to the same place every month. And coincidentally or not, it was the same sort of nurse administrator that was tasked with opening these packages. And as you'll soon see, uh, after a while, she was getting quite disturbed about this. The police were called and they didn't know exactly what to do, but we'll get to that point in a few minutes. So inside this first package, you open up and look at uh, the next slide. And here are uh, actual Barbie dolls. Uh, On your left is, uh, we, we came up with nicknames over the years, knife up the gut Barbie, barbie hooked to battery operated device devices and you can uh, use your imagination to figure out what they are so these are you know we'll just start with the calendar year we'll say this was january the one on the left february the one on the right different types of packages and uh, different types of barbies but uh all mutilated violated in some way you'll notice red on them uh, these were sent to the laboratory that was not real blood it was like model air Airplane paint, something like that. And there's also sprinkle on them. So, And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. So looking at the uh, next set of Barbies coming in, uh, on the left is Matchhead Barbie, and on the right is Enema Barbie. Again, these are being sent once a month, uh, not to repeat myself here, but to this hospital. They're getting a little more extravagant, a little more sophisticated, if you will, as we're going along this person had to really spend a lot of time with an electric drill and uh, breaking these wooden matches down to certain, uh, you know, certain dimensions and make sure the hole fits. And then, of course, with the enema Barbie, that's like aquarium tubing Uh, that had to be stuck up different holes that were drilled into, shall we say, the lower posterior of Barbie. And this one also was bound and gagged with a plastic bag over her. But you know what? Doesn't the white, uh, you know, sort of uh, wedding cake ribbon looked nice on it. So sort of a nice effect there as if the person sending this wanted to make sure uh, that it was appreciated in that regard. So let's see, we're out the middle of the year now coming up with the next few Barbies. So he didn't just hate brown-haired, uh, I'm sorry, blonde Barbies, but also brown-haired or brunette Barbies. So this one has no arms, and it has some kind of a wiring device hooked up to it with all kinds of uh, uh, of sprinkle and uh, and blood on it. And on the right, of course, is the well-known um, toothpick Barbie. And you can see several dozen of them sticking out of just about every part of her body. Uh, and again, you can imagine the work and the effort being put into this. If this person would only apply this to some other job or hobby or something, uh, they'd have something to be proud of, but, uh, but not so much here. So again, Jim. as the year continues, go ahead, Ray.
0: Jim, I wanted to wanted to just take pause here for our listeners, because I'm wondering um, what we saw. We've seen six Barbies now from the knife Barbie now to the uh, toothpick Barbie. What did they believe these uh, photographs or these Barbies were depicting? What was the message Did they believe the message was behind this?
1: Well, uh, that's the problem. They didn't know. And I think it's the next set of slides. We don't have to go there yet. We can answer, talk about this. But the local police were handling it on their own. No one was being threatened. No one's tires were being slashed. There was no rocks through any windows. Uh, They were just these Barbie dolls, again, once a month, showing up almost like clockwork at this mental health facility. And, of course, the nurses there, the doctors, and the police investigators are asking themselves, all right, who is doing this? Who has, uh, you know, a problem with the workers in this facility? And they're also asking themselves, well, gee, you know, let's let's try to do our amateur profiling here. And I was told this later on. But, uh, you know, who plays with Barbie dolls? Well, generally little girls. Now, they were pretty sure it wasn't a little girl sending these dolls to them, but is it an adult woman who has some kind of an issue, either with women, with the, uh, with the facility, with someone in there? Uh, so they were really in a, at a quandary. And, um, and of course, they're, they're, the big question coming up, if someone is doing this to Barbie dolls and really, you know, um, decimating them and and, uh, and putting holes in them and drills and fake blood and all this stuff, they may hate Barbie dolls. But does it also mean they hate women? Does it mean they would actually do something like this to an actual woman? So these are all types of factors that we have to uh, look into. And they would be looked into once uh, uh, SSA uh, Al Brantley was brought onto the scene.
0: Well, you know it's funny he say that because it had to be someone that had a problem with women. Otherwise, it, it could have been a teddy bear, or it could have been a GI Joe. GI Joes were big then too, but yet it was Barbie dolls. So it was directed. So you 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 think from our perspective? And I have a couple questions, but let me do this from my perspective. I'm looking. I'm saying. Were they sent generally to the mental hospital or were they earmarked to a certain individual? Uh, Was it someone that opened that, that was meant meant to see those things first? Was it for the shock and awe of seeing this? I mean, you think those things, but here's another question. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are wondering, did they test the envelopes that were coming in? Now, DNA wasn't prevalent then, but did they test it for fingerprints? Ladies.
1: They eventually did. Yes. And uh, they sent them off to the laboratory uh, and they really had no luck there. Um, but to answer your question, it so happens it was one nurse administrator who opened these packages every week. That was her job or every month as they came in. She was a mail opener. I and mean, that was that was her gig. So it's like, all right, did someone happen to know that the same woman would be opening these packages? And of course, after a while, she knew what was coming in. She could tell by the design, the feel, everything yep. like that. And I think they just called the police right away. So everything inside was guarded for fingerprints. But they didn't have any luck with any uh, forensics on this particular case. There was some other factors that kicked in once uh, once the profiler got involved.
0: You know, it's kind of funny, but back then, uh, we weren't x-raying in the 90s, early 90s. We weren't x-raying all packages coming in. Businesses were not x-raying. That didn't happen until after 9-11 with the anthrax scares and things of that nature but you look here and you're going what what is this guy's message was there any writing that came with it or was it anything of that nature that kind of would help uh
1: like what is his motivation or her motivation at this point well that's a good question and i actually use this case when i teach forensic linguistics of course linguistics is the study of language and as well there's really no language in here but yeah you there is an unspoken language out there and there are ways with gestures of course your face your fingers your hands we all know what they are you put like a knife across someone's throat you do this to them uh that's a threat you know or certainly can be perceived as one and here what this person is doing with these envelopes and these dials, it's definitely a threat and it definitely makes someone feel uncomfortable and even without the use of language at all except on the envelopes themselves uh, this could be construed as a threat, and certainly uh, many states have uh you know threatening statutes the federal government does too, if it's a perception of some sort of physical bodily harm portrayed in whatever message or communication is being sent and I think from a behavioral perspective, after a dozen or so of these show up uh it could certainly be argued that this person could be criminally charged not just for harassment or something like that but also for uh uh, uh, physically threatening someone.
0: Yeah, but what would the charge be?
1: I'm sending you dolls,
0: and I have things in them. So, I mean, my real is it? Am I really, with no written word? And although you say things are implied, but could I argue? Could I argue? And I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, I was just playing around. I was just sending those things. I didn't
1: mean anything by it. That would certainly be a defense that any you know uh, half decent lawyer would bring up. But I think with a pattern of 12 of these being sent out, uh, give or take, uh, over the course of a year and uh, with the with the, uh, you know, the cut, dicing and slicing of these particular dials, known they're being opened by one person. I certainly think that charge could be rendered and a jury of that person's peers um, uh, would have to uh, determine whether they charge a stick or not. Yeah. So uh, but there is a resolution to this case. And uh we'll see how that all worked out in that regard.
0: Right. I'd like to go back to some of those photos, Fitz. I know we're, I don't know where we were. We were at uh, either four or five there, Uh, but I'd like to go back to some of those.
1: Sure. Here's the toothpick one. Here's the other one. That's a, yeah, it's knife knife in the gut, Barbie. Uh, um, And you know, the sprinkles and uh, what have you. And I know the the, the, the uh, handle of the knife was dusted for prints, and and again the early days of DNA forensic DNA analysis, it just didn't yeah. uh, just didn't produce anything. So it really came down to asking the victim. So now we're moving on. These are not Barbies. Uh, these are real models that are again sliced and diced with razor uh, razors and painted carefully uh, on her body. There are uh, that's a, an aquarium hose filled with fake blood. It's not actual blood what it's supposed to represent i'll let you figure that out there's some kind of an aquarium pump there on the bottom as if uh her own fluids are being pumped into her I, you know it uh it, it, take that as what you want from an artistic perspective Uh you can almost say this person has some artistic talent that perhaps put in some other direction it would have been much more uh you know beneficial to humankind but uh I think the last one we're about to see here, this is what really got police uh, and everyone upset. You see you yeah. see, young, these are models out of like a, an old uh, fashion catalog or something, and they're young kids, and with body parts cut out and what have you. And uh, this is when the police said, all right, this is beyond just sort of borderline harassment. We gotta get the FBI involved. They called the local office in New York. New York put them in touch with the profilers of Quantico. Al Brantley was assigned this case. He, uh, he worked and he looked at the pictures of all of these that you've just seen, interviewed, uh, you know, the, the, the nurse administrator. And his conclusion was, and I'm sure some of our audience may have come up with this. All right, this is going to a mental health facility. Is anyone in the facility have access to this type of a workroom, a work whatever they could put this together? And everyone said, no, no, that we would know if he's, he or she is making it in there and then sending it somehow. I said, all right, how about. So the first one was. We'll say uh, January of 1992, who was released from your inpatient uh, facility in the last six months? Give us a list. They put a list together and they started interviewing some people and like the parents or caregivers or spouses of these people. And one person became very much, uh, um, very much rose to the top of the list because the parents said, well, he has a room in the in the basement that no one's allowed into. He lives in the basement. He always padlocks this certain room. I know he's down there with electric drills. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen him go to the toy store. He comes back with something every month, but we're not sure. So it all started adding together. And um, and and Al Brantley told the, the investigators, you know, be cautious here. We don't know what this guy's personality is. There is violent ideation here with what he's doing to these dolls. But we're not sure whether it's suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation. Would he, would he harm someone? And... I forget it was someone down the line, another investigator. Well, we're not too worried about that. Well, um, they finally got an arrest warrant for this guy based on some other information that came in. They went to the house and sure enough, he had a loaded 357 Magnum like in the nightstand alongside of his bed. He didn't pull on anyone. Uh, the investigators and the police got in there safely and, uh, and, and made the arrest and bottom line, it turns out, uh, a bunch of evidence came together and, um, And uh, and it turns out that he, in fact, was a former patient and he was the one who somehow for whatever bizarre psychological reason that to this day, I'm not sure we truly know, but uh, he felt somehow compelled to not only spend his good money on Barbie dolls, uh, including the ones rescued up front. We found about a dozen that he hadn't had a chance to um, to actually violate yet. And uh, and he just felt somehow compelled for whatever reason to send these dolls. So it was a man. It wasn't a woman. I think he was in his thirties. Uh, I don't think he had a violent past, from what I recall, criminal history in that regard. And um, he was put back in. He was put back in an involuntary commitment uh, after his arrest, and uh, but a different facility. He didn't go into that same facility. They put him somewhere other part of the state. And quite frankly, no one really knows what happened to him after that. Uh, and uh, no other dials have shown up in any other cases around the country of which I am aware. So uh, a bizarre case that certainly had some people for about a year scratching their heads and wondering what all this meant. And as cool as Barbie is and her Malibu beach house and her dream house and Ken and all these things, uh, some people look at the dark side of uh, Barbie or or take her to a dark side and decide to do these particular things with her. So uh, uh, very bizarre, but that's the world we live in, right? Yeah, you know, I I'm looking and I'm I'm just thinking.
0: I don't know what the what the assessment that Al and some of the other guys down in the unit had on this. I never had access to the to the written assessment, and believe it or not, I don't remember because going through that training was like almost thirty years ago. But uh, as I sit here, it appears to me that what this individual was doing is he was acting out of fantasy. Oh yeah, you know, it was fantasy driven, and it's almost like. He's using real, he's using real life, but he's initiating or imitating it through plastic with these dolls, you know, and I, and I look at it and I sit there and go, thank God they got, got a hold of him because, you know, like in most of these cases that you and I have seen over the years, a lot of times it starts out here. And then all of a sudden that mailing those things out just doesn't do it anymore for me. And I have to kind of escalate it to something that's going to satisfy that and kind of engage in that fantasy. And we all know that when these individuals go through these things, that the fantasy never lives up to the reality. That's why they continue to do it, trying to reach it. It's almost like that drug addict that has that first high. They can never really obtain that first high again, but they try like hell to to kind of get to it. But you talk about all these dolls, right? I was doing a little bit more stuff here, and I told you earlier on that there was a sale, the most expensive doll that was sold was $17,000. However, the highest value of a Barbie doll, it ranges from $1,450 to over $300,000. And the one over $300,000 is Don't a, tell me it's uh, toothpick Barbie. No, it's not. It's not toothpick Barbie. It's not nice through the, through the gut Barbie. It's not the enema Barbie. But they had these different ones. The 40th anniversary was eighty-five thousand. Barbie with a diamond castle was ninety-five thousand, and then the uh, something sight inferno canting was something else. But here's something that you didn't know because you were retired. I think you left in 2009, right?
1: 2007. Is that
0: right? 2007. I remember in 2010, we got a communication into our FBI office about Barbie dolls. And it was a Barbie doll that came out in 2010 with a camera on the front of it that could take up to 30 minutes of video. So a lot of uh, one of the biggest concerns of the FBI that came out of the unit actually came out of Sacramento. And uh, he said, you know, we're concerned that these Barbie dolls could be used to film and store child pornography of these young kids in their bedrooms. And things of that nature. Uh, Not that, and the thing is, is that I never remember a case coming across anywhere, but the fact that Barbie or, uh, you know, would actually put something out like that, that could even be construed or something like that, was probably not a good move. But it still sold very, very well. And they never, ever had a case come forward, at least not that we're aware of. But I'm sure someone used it for something.
1: Well, just like this guy in the, Syracuse, New York area decided to use this for his own malevolent means and it somehow made him feel better about himself in whatever way, shape or form. Hopefully he got the additional care that he needed and he was uh, he turned into a better person after that. But um, yeah, no, there you go. Oh.
0: 302 Stefano Cantori. 302,500. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? I should have saved my kids Barbie dolls.
1: Well, um, this guy wasn't mailing these dolls to uh, his victim. It was more no, uh, no. Uh, the other ones with the drills and the uh, red paint and whatever in the aquarium tubes. But uh, here's I wanted to ask you this, and I don't know if you know the
0: answer to this, but how did some of the other guys down in the unit react when seeing these Barbie dolls?
1: Well, it's interesting you say that. So we went through this case and now presented it. You I know, made a twenty-minute case in training, along with you know three hundred other cases that we were being taught at the time. And then I told you in like early two thousands, I get a call from the police. Hey, do you want these? Sure. So about you know four different um, um, you know uh, shipping type boxes come to the unit, and we never really had a place to display these. I, I for years I wanted to get some glass case because it's not open to the public or anything. It'd be nice to have put these along with some other cases. Unabomber's manifesto, some other cases I worked, but certainly other cases out there. So I just kept them. I wound up putting them in two Xerox type boxes and just kept them in my office under the chair. And but other agents knew about it. And what was kind of odd is, um, of course, we all have friends and family out there. And every once in a while, usually it seems the summertime, um, people would be visiting the uh, Quantico area and they yeah. hook up with their friend who's a profiler uh, or one of the analysts and Needless to say, it seems like about three times, four times every summer, I get a knock on the door. Hey, Fitz, how you doing? This is my Uncle Joe, and this is my, my niece, and back and forth, and hello, how you doing? Nice to meet them, you know, generally nice people. And I, can we see your Barbie dolls? Oh, uh, sure, okay. So I'd go over uh, to, the, meet me in the conference room, I'd go over there and just kinda like we all watched here, bring them out, you know, match head, you know, match uh, toothpick Barbie. And uh, they're looking at it and adults, no big deal. But about half the time, there'd be like 10 and 12 year old boys or girls. And I'd pull the parents aside. I said, these are a little bit graphic. You sure you want them? Oh, yeah, they'll be fine. They love true crime stuff. It's all right. You're the parent here. So I'm telling you, there had to be at least a, you know a 10 to 15 times before I retired in 2007, which I showed these dolls to young kids. and I felt kind of, I just opened the box lit up and said, All right, here's my head blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, uh, they seemed to be okay. Who knows how they turned out. Um, but, um, <laughs> hopefully not too uh, wrongly affected, uh, if they had some kind of an FBI profiler friend or family member in their background. So, uh, that was a little bit odd there. And one thing for adults checking it out. Yeah, they're odd. They're cool in their own sort of, uh, uh, bizarre way. But, uh, I was very hesitant to show them to the kids unless the parents basically gave their expressed spoken permission to do so. I know my kids never saw them when they were young. Uh it was no, three boys never and my kids those things. And Jen. Uh, eventually as they got older, they were, you know, aware of them on this little training block that I do. Um, but then well, I should add what happened? Wasn't there
0: something that happened in the Netherlands just before you left the bureau?
1: I'm glad you remembered that, Ray. And yes, there was. And I was presenting this case pretty much exactly how I just did here to a group of um, European profilers and psychologists and actually uh, profilers and psychologists from other countries. So, yeah, I put this little slide together here as I'm telling this story. And um, I, I told it just like I'm, I'm saying it uh, right now. Except back then in real time, I was still in the bureau and said, yeah, I keep them in boxes under my uh, under the chair, uh, you know, alongside my desk. And uh, I'll I'll miss the Barbie girls when I'm retired because they were technically evidence and I can't bring them with me, which, of course, I didn't bring them with me. Only these pictures. And so I said that I was like on a Wednesday afternoon. I happened to mention that. Uh, that, Yeah, I'll miss the girls. uh, But, uh, you know, life goes on. they're, They're in a good home in Quantico. And I go on the rest of my presentation. Don't think anything of it. Friday around two o'clock after a little lunch, we finish up this week long seminar and um, uh, and the local two women psychologists who happen to be women who were kind of sponsoring and running this whole uh, uh, presentation uh, over the course of the week, they gave out gifts to everyone and they gave out um, little wine bottles and cheese and little Dutch, you know, wooden shoes, and very nice little gifts. That's, you know, some, the presenters get sometimes at these type conferences. We didn't get paid for these things, of course. We we're Certainly, I was in the bureau then. So nice little gifts. So I walk up, God, man, thank you, Agent Fitzgerald. Here's your wine bottle, your thing of cheese. And, you know, okay. And I go to turn around. Oh, hold on. We do have a special gift for you. A special gift for me? Yes. And they both leave the room. Two attractive, you know, 30-something women psychologists, and they come back in the room with this like plastic bag, like green. I couldn't see through it. Like it tells like an awkward shape of whatever it was. And uh, I'm thinking, what is this? And the whole audience, like 40 people in the room, they're watching this. Then all of a sudden, you know, they, they kind of slowly take off the, uh, the green bag. And what they then presented me as my final going away present about one month from retirement from the FBI is what you're about to see here in this final picture. They went out and bought some Barbie dolls or Barbie-like dolls somewhere in uh, Leiden, the Netherlands. Uh, It's about 20 miles south of of Amsterdam at this university. And they put this little display together for me. And if you look real close in the middle under the Barbie head, there's a pair of Dutch wooden shoes. So uh, that's a nice little, you know, Netherlands, uh, Old Holland touch to it. But it gets a little more, even more interesting in that you see the wooden dowel that these girls were actually hanging from. It was about a foot longer on each side. So I couldn't just leave this gift at the conference center. I had to bring it back to the hotel and I had to make sure it was still in the bag. I didn't want people in the lobby seeing me carrying this thing full of headless and armless Barbies. So, And I also realized (laughs) I had to take this thing home with me on the flight the next day. So the investigator with whom I was working over there, he happened to live in the area. I said, do you happen to have a saw you can bring over to the hotel room for me? So sure enough, the next morning he walks into the hotel carrying a saw up into my room and we saw off the two ends of this and they could just barely fit inside my my travel suitcase that I brought with me. But then I was also thinking I'm going to go through customs when I get back in the U.S., what the hell are they going to, they x-ray this or randomly open it up and they see all these dismembered Barbies. What are they going to do with me? I mean, I flashed my badge and, I, you know, all that stuff uh, back in the day when we were traveling as FBI agents. But I could be pulled aside and who knows what kind of a psych eval. They never did bother me. I got out of um, I got out of uh, the airport, no problem. And the very last part to the story is I brought them home. I almost forgot about it. You know, unpacked my clothes. Oh, geez. All right, well, it was a nice gift. I appreciate their thought. I just hang it up in the garage of my home in Stafford, Virginia. I retired over the next year. I'm trying to sell my house and I hired a realtor and they're bringing people in and it's a beautiful house. I kept kept it well. It wasn't selling, wasn't selling. And finally the realtor pulls me over and said, uh, Jim, um, some people really like your house until they walk into the garage and see those dolls. Um, is there a chance you could get rid of those dolls? And I said, oh boy wasn't even thinking that. So I buried those away, put them inside a big trash bag, hit them somewhere, and within two weeks, the house sold. So note to anyone out there, note to anyone out there selling a house, you may not want (laughs) headless dismembered Barbie dolls hanging anywhere because it could uh, stifle the potential sale. Jim, in all my speaking engagements,
0: I have always received nice things. That by far is one of the most bizarre items i've ever heard of anybody receiving i i would have to question those two ladies uh, <laughs> that gave those things to you i know it's a joke but that's real i mean that's real i mean i could see maybe one that you could put the head back on or something but to hang, hang them up on a dolly like that i, I think that's
1: really bizarre
0: it's um, really bizarre
1: uh, they were uh, professional people well written and researchers and I didn't really stay in too much touch with them afterwards. I'm, I'm hoping they had good careers, and I'm just hoping I was I'm not the only shocked by that. I'm, I'm not shocked by that. The only person that they ever gave dismembered dolls to was me, and not any of their patients or <laughs> kids or anything like that. So uh, that might have so, been a setup, Jim. It might have been a setup. It might have been uh, setting you up. Well,
0: through customs on both ends.
1: I learned whenever I give the presentation now, not to say I miss the girls or I'll miss having them around me. I don't. I have the pictures for, for posterity's sake and for perpetuity. Never thought I would put it on cold red, but you know what? The movie is so popular now. People are flocking to see it. Why not share it with the general public? I I just hope if you had kids watching this early on, you put them out and uh, and you don't get them too, uh, uh, too psychologically traumatized by this. But uh, folks, ultimately, it's your decision as their parents. That's We're- really,
0: really something. I mean, I, I'm. I think that's a great story. I think it's a great story. I think the case is fascinating, too. And and to think about that, did they ever find out what his motivation was behind, if you know? I know you weren't involved in that, but did yeah. they ever talk about what the motivation was?
1: I don't really know, but uh, this guy was obviously an inpatient in a mental health center for a number of months. I do know that. He was released, and within about a month, these mailings started. Uh, what his feelings are towards women. Was he ever in a relationship? Is he what we now call an incel? That term was just being formed around then. I think late 90s, someone first used it, meaning involuntary celibacy. Was that him? And instead of fortunately not actually hurting any women or killing people, which some incels have been known to do, and some of these recent Mm -hmm. mass murders, I believe, are incels, whether they actually go on their websites or not. But this person could have been an early one of those and just said i hate women so much i can't get the woman i want to date so i'm going to take these barbie dolls and uh, mutilate them and then send them off to the one other woman in my life that i happen to know besides my mother and that was the nurse administrator at this particular facility and uh that's how this guy was getting his jollies who knows what else he was doing at the same time he was putting these in the mail i'm not sure they checked for other uh, body fluids in the envelopes or whatever, but I have no indications of that, and, uh, and let's hope uh, it didn't go to that degree with this guy.
0: Outstanding! What a what a what a fabulous case! What a fabulous story, Jim. Um, all about Barbie. We, yeah, I mean, you know, go go think. I mean, I, whoever thought they'd make a movie about Barbie? I mean, I haven't seen it. Like you, I have not had the chance to see it. Uh, but you, any before we sign off here, you have any
1: final thoughts? No, I'm just looking forward to season two. Uh, we're in uh, early August now. We're going to be back in late August. And um, our numbers are trending and growing. And uh, we thanks Matt and Matt, Eminem as we call them, our uh, our producers. And, uh, Ray, I thank you. And it was great to yeah. see you again. We've talked on the phone you a bit too, for the first time seeing you so um, in a while. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to season two. We've got some great guests lined up. Uh, and uh, we're going to hit the ground running uh, in just a few weeks from now. I just want to remind
0: our listeners. You can subscribe to Cold Red for updates and details about our upcoming season two, which Jim said will start at the end of this month. So with that said, uh, we're going to sign off here. And thank you
1: uh,
0: for coming and listening to both Fitz and I on Cold Red. Take care, everybody.
1: See you, folks.